Uh, We are in a series called In Jesus' Name. It's a four-week series talking about prayer. And uh, what we're doing during the series is we're asking the big questions about prayer because prayer is rather mysterious. And uh, some of the questions that we're asking are, uh, who do we pray to? Why do we pray? Uh, How do we pray? These kinds of big questions about prayer. And last week we talked about who do we pray to? Two, and we looked at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer that says, Our Father, and hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what we talked about is that when the Lord teaches us, when, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us a prayer that begins with our. That is to say that your faith is personal, but it isn't private. There's a community orientation to this faith This thing called faith. Uh, God is building a people for himself called the body of Christ. And so uh, anybody that is a Christian but does not have a church home is really a spiritual orphan. Because God calls us into community with one another. And the community that he is building is through the church, through the body of Christ. And so our father. Father is this word. Uh, that has intimacy to it, that it's, it, re- it literally means daddy. And so he wants us to understand the, the communal aspect, but he also wants us to understand that God is, is uh, he, he knows us. He can, uh, we can know him to a certain degree, that, that he's not totally veiled in mystery. And, and, uh, but there's, there's this element to this familiarity about who God is, our father. And then we introduce tension into that, into this Familiar God, Abba, Daddy, Father, we introduce this idea of holy, hallowed be your name. And that his, his holiness is displayed uh, through power and all of these things. And, and ultimately where we landed last week is that we pray to God through the Son. We pray to God through the Son. That when you pray, you aren't just throwing words up into the atmosphere hoping that that someone or something catches them and does something with them. But if you pray to God because of his holiness, we must do so through the Son, who has perfectly represented the love of God to us, and yet at the very same time has perfectly represented us to God. And so we can pray for, to God through the Son. And uh, the implication then that we didn't talk a lot about last week is that we can pray... Uh, boldly, that we can approach the throne of God in prayer boldly because of what, uh, what Jesus has done on our behalf, that we don't need to pray timid prayers, but we can approach the creator of the universe, the most holy God, with boldness because we approach him through the Son. And, the, and then uh, one more thing last week is that we talked about prayer is really about relationship. Prayer is really about relationships. So who do we pray to? We pray to God through the Son for the purpose of relationship. That's last week. The, the question that I want to address today is probably a much more difficult question. Uh, the question last week was a good kind of foundation. Uh, but probably before we ever started, you guys knew the answer uh, to the question last week. Uh, but this, this, the question that we're going to address today is much more difficult, and the question is this. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Have you ever asked that question? You know, if, if God knows everything, 
Why pray? Why talk to God? If he already knows everything, then, then what do I have to tell him that he doesn't already know? Or if, if God is going to do what God is going to do, then why ask him for, for anything in prayer? I mean, if God's just doing his thing in the world and, and he's just going to do it and there's nothing that I can do to stop it, there's nothing that I can do to get in the way of it, and there's really not a lot I can do to, to help it along. I mean, if God is going to do what he's going to do in the world, then why in the world should I, should I pray about anything? Why should I ask for grandma to be healed? If God is going to do what God is going to do, then why pray for that? Why pray for that new job? Or, or why pray for a, a spouse? Or why pray uh, for my friend to drop their alcohol habit or addiction? Or, or why pray for anything? I mean, if God is going to do what he's going to do, then ultimately the question is, what is the purpose of prayer? Maybe you've asked that question. You've probably heard this, everything happens for a reason. Man, everything happens for a reason. And I know you're going through hell right now, but everything happens for a reason. And, and ultimately, in the end, this is God's best for you. I mean, if everything happens for a reason, then why pray for my circumstances to change? And, and in fact, if you, if you take that, that logic all the way to its logical conclusion, you might say, if everything happens for a reason, then praying for my circumstance to end might actually be robbing me of God's best for me. I know it's hard right now, but ultimately it's God's best because everything happens for a reason. Well, I think that uh, you always, if you're like me, always feel like you should pray more. But there seems to be a barrier to praying more. And sometimes that barrier may be you can't just, you can't get motivated to pray more because you're not even sure why you're supposed to pray. You just know that you're supposed to do it more. I told you this was going to be tough. Happy Mother's Day. Whenever I feel you guys kind of slumping in your chairs, I'm just going to say Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Let's address this question this morning. Uh, but uh, we need to pray before we do so. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to gather together here this morning. And uh, God, we would pray that as we tackle this difficult question of why do we even do this thing called prayer. um, Ultimately, Lord, what I think we need in these few moments together is understanding. And Lord, I, I pray that that understanding then would lead us to action. Uh, that whatever knowledge we may gain this morning would would not just be sort of collected into our, our bank of knowledge, but would um, begin to apply itself in our lives. And so, Lord, give us wisdom, give us understanding, uh, and then, Lord, would you help us in obedience to do what you've called us to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, in the world of the Bible, in ancient culture, uh, it was assumed that there were many gods, uh, and each god oversaw a different part of the world, which is 
why when the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob claims to be the God, the one true God, he's speaking into a world where there was a God for everything. Uh, there, was, there were all kinds of different gods. They oversaw all different parts of the world. And so it was rather, uh, it, it was, it was rather bold to say then that, in fact, there are not many gods, but there's one true God who created the world and who now oversees the entire world. Uh, but there was uh, understood to be all kinds of gods. There was a God of rain. There was a God of love. There was a God of the sun. There was the God of the harvest. There was the God of fertility. Uh, and, and these gods could, well, they were either for you or they were against you. And so the, the pressure of people in ancient culture that, that believed that there were all kinds of different gods in the world, they lived with this weight on their shoulders. And the weight that was on their shoulders, the burden that they had to carry, is that they had to get all of these gods on their side. In other words, they had to try and do their best to impress all the different gods. Now that's a burden to carry, would you say? And so uh, they had to impress these gods. In other words, if you wanted the God of love to give you a girlfriend, you had to get a job, get a life, go to the gym, slick your hair back, throw away the Xbox, and ask her out. (laughs) And after doing all of that, you then had to impress the God of love to see if he would find favor on you. If you wanted to... You have a good crop. You had to plant your seed, tend the soil, and water faithfully. And then, on top of that, convince the God of the harvest to smile on you. If you wanted the fertility God to give you children, you had to... Never mind. (laughs) And then if you convinced the God, that God... To give you children, he would often give you children that acted just like you when you were a child. (laughs) And to play a cool trick on you. Unless, of course, you were a perfect child, like I was. Then you have one perfect child. And then, of course, if you were strong-willed, like Amy was, then you have one strong-willed child. (laughs) But I don't know anything about that. And this is all facetious. Okay. So the ways then, so you had to impress all these gods. And the way in which you had to impress, I'm trying to wake you guys up this morning. Man, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. It's good to be in church. (laughs) Now the way to impress the gods was this. Now how would you go about ever impressing a god? How could one ever do that? Well, the way that you did that is that you would shower them with many fancy words in prayer. And so if you prayed with many words, and if you prayed with fancy words, then, then, you, would, then you would be heard. In fact, it was, it was commonly, commonly believed that, that when you prayed to all these gods, they didn't even hear you until you had, t- had piled on so many words of praise, so, many fan- so much fancy language. I mean, you, had to, you were always trying to impress these gods so that they might try Turn their eye upon you and find favor and give you what you want. Bring the harvest. Bring the love, right? Bring the sun. Whatever it was that you wanted, you had to impress that God through fancy words and many words in prayer. And so, why do we pray? 
Do we pray as many of our ancient brothers and sisters and cousins did to impress God? Absolutely not. You see the beauty of the one true God, the God who has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ, the God that we have come together to worship today, the beauty of this God is that we don't have to pray to impress him because he is already listening. And and I don't know how that strikes you today, but I've heard so many people say that when I pray, and they use this figure of speech, I don't feel like my, my words even make it to the ceiling. Right? I mean, I'm trying to, to reach this God, this creator God, this, this huge God who, who supposedly loves me, but I'm not quite convinced, who supposedly cares and is involved in my life, but I don't see his evidence. And so um, I find myself in a difficult situation, and I'm going to throw some words up there, hoping that he hears. But listen, you don't have to pile on all kinds of fancy words. You don't have to to, to pray with a lot of words. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is a short prayer and it uses everyday language. Our Daddy who's in heaven, your name be sanctified and your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, this is everyday language and it's because we have the assurance that our God is already listening. Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord, for he hears my voice. I love the Lord, for he hears my voice. He has heard my cry for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Isn't that a beautiful verse? I love the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. And because he has tuned his ear To me, I will call out to him as long as I live. You know, we can spend all of our lives doing our best to tune our ears to God so that we might hear him when he speaks to us, so that we might understand the impressions that he stamps on our hearts, that we might understand how he works through people and situations and circumstances and speaks to us so that our ears are perfectly tuned to his voice. But listen, the good news is that God's ear is already tuned to your voice. The God of the universe has tuned his ear to you so that when you call out to him, he hears you. He is already listening. We don't pray to impress God. We don't pray to gain an ear to God. You already have one. And that's good news. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So he's already listening. We don't pray to impress God because he's already listening. And we also don't pray to impress God because he is impressed with a lot of words. Imagine the, the creator of the world and language. Could you ever come up with enough language and fancy words to impress God? Absolutely not. In fact, he warns against it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. This is right before the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We referenced this last week as well. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Who are the pagans? Those who believe 
in many false gods. And what are they doing? They're babbling in their prayers, trying to earn an audience with their God of choice. Do not, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. And then he goes on to teach the Lord's Prayer. This simple, short prayer. So we don't, pray, we don't pray to impress God. He's already listening. We don't pray to impress God because he's not impressed with a lot of words. And we certainly don't pray to impress God because he has already shown his favor on us by sending his son. I want you to know today that not only does God already hear you, but God has already shown his favor on you because he sent his son for your salvation, for your redemption, for your renewal, for your restoration. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 8 says, In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. We don't need to pray to impress God. We don't need to pray so that he would churn his ear toward us. We don't need to pray that he would show us favor. He has already done so. And he is already listening. Moms, when the kids are crying, when both of them are sick and they're throwing up all over the place, when your schedule has you running everywhere, God is for you. God's favor is resting upon you. He wants to help you through those times. In the midst of infertility, miscarriage, loss. God is with you. He's not abandoned you. Whatever your challenge and whatever your joy, God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever, have you ever gained the perspective to see that the favor of God is not dependent upon your immediate circumstance. Have you ever pulled back your perspective enough to see that God has shown his favor in you lavishly when he sent his son for your salvation? That that just because your circumstance is difficult doesn't mean that God's favor is not upon you. You don't have to impress him. He's already shown that he is for you. So we don't pray to impress God. Now, also in this ancient culture, if you had a lot of false gods who were overseeing just their part of the world and, uh, and, nothing, and nothing else, and they were just in charge of, of the sun is shining or not, or, or um, the harvest is coming or not, or all of these things or not, if, they're, if you have all these different gods and they're overseeing just their little part of the world, when you pray to them, you had to inform them on what was going on. You had to come to them and, and say, uh, you know, I have lost my job and I need financial God to have more, to, to, to not be out of money before I'm out of month. There's too much month left at the end of the money, right? And so you got to pray to the financial God and you got to tell them what's going on. I lost my job. You have to inform the gods that the kids are driving me nuts. You have to inform the gods, I got this diagnosis. Or things are tight this month. But again, we don't pray 
to impress God, and we certainly don't pray to inform God. Now, we would probably never admit this, but I wonder how many times our prayer lives are really concentrated on those two things. I wonder how many times we, we come to the Lord in prayer and we, and we feel like that because we're praying, we have to, 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 to enter into some sort of uh, fancy language, use all of our best words, and, and, and we have to then sort of inform God. God, here's what's going on. But we don't pray to impress God, and we certainly don't pray to inform, inform God because God knows everything. He's aware of every detail. You cannot hide from him, and there's nothing that you can say where God would say, oh, really? I, I, I didn't know. I wasn't sure that that was going on. I, I didn't know that's how you felt. I mean, God knows not only your circumstances around you, but also your heart in the circumstance. And so we don't pray to inform God. Because God knows us so intimately and his knowledge is so vast. Now that isn't to say that in our prayers we don't share information. Because we do. We we share information. God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on in my heart. We're, We're pouring that out. But do you think that that's really for God's benefit or is it for ours? And so we share information in our prayers, but we're not praying as as God's informant on our lives. Because his knowledge is so vast. It says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 30, and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Psalm 139 verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it. Completely. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power, and his understanding has no limit. And so if we don't pray to impress God and we don't pray to inform God, then back to the original question, then why do we pray? Then why do we pray? I would want to explore this thought together, and this certainly is not... Uh, the complete answer or all the answers to this vast question, but I would encourage you to think about that we pray to invite God. We pray to invite God. The prayer, the essence of prayer is relationship, but in that relationship, through prayer, we invite God to work in our lives or in the lives of other people. That when you pray, you are opening yourself up to his work, to his life, to his love, to his grace, to his mercy, to his goodness. When we pray, it's a way of opening our hearts so that God might work in us. Talk to the atheist who believes there is no God. Have they ever prayed? No, because they have no reason to. They have no reason to, not primarily because they don't believe in God, because atheism itself is a step of faith, but because they refuse to invite God into their lives. And so we pray as an invitation. We're not impressing God. We're not informing him on anything, but rather we are humbly approaching him and inviting him to work in our lives and in the lives of other people. So let's look at the negative side of this first. If there is a lack of prayer, then what is is it really a symptom of? 
In other words, if there is a, in other words, let me say, what is the reason why we don't invite God to work in our lives? Well, the first would be a lack of trust. I mean, if prayer is an invitation and we find ourselves not praying, then what is the reason why we refuse to invite God? Well, to, to work in our lives and to work in the lives of people that we love. The first would be a lack of trust. We don't trust God. I'm going to invite you to work in my, in my, I'm not going to invite you to work in my life or the life of someone else because God, quite frankly, I don't trust you. God, quite frankly, I don't believe that you have what it takes. God, quite frankly, I tried to trust you. I did pray that one time. Things didn't turn out how I wanted. And so the natural conclusion is God can't be trusted. Some of you are here today and you lack a life of prayer because you don't trust God. And because you don't trust him, you're not willing to invite him. The other reason that we might have a lack of prayer is because we have an overblown pride. An overblown pride. And if I could identify one of these two that I struggle with personally the most, it's this one. An overblown pride, which is, which is a, a posture of heart that says, I've got this. God, you've got a world to run. It's all good. Don't worry about my little corner over here. I got it. I can take care of it. Everything's good to go. I don't need you on this one. I'll call you when something big comes up. Right? And so like, and so, and so we have a lack of, of regular prayer in our lives because we have an overblown pride. I've got this, man. Everything's good. I can meet all of my own needs with all of my own resources. I can take care of it myself. But this morning, I want to shift the way we think about prayer. And I want to encourage you not to see it as something that you should do because you're a Christian. I want you to encourage not to see it as something you should do more if you're going to be serious about your faith because if you feel like it's something that you have to do more to be a good Christian, it's something that you should do to be a Christian, then you are approaching prayer with a heart of obligation. If you approach prayer with a heart of obligation, you're going you're gonna to bow your head, you're going to close your eyes, you're going to pray your thing, and three minutes later you're going to feel like I'm falling asleep, I've said everything I have to say, I, I, I ain't got nothing else, right? And it's because... You've approached it with a heart of obligation. And then when you don't pray, because you feel obligated to pray, to pray, you're going to feel guilty. Because I was obligated to do that. I should do that. I ought to be doing that more. I want to shift your entire mindset and just ask you a very simple question. Are you willing or do you want to invite God to work in your life? If the answer is yes then our response is prayer. Because prayer is an invitation. And then all of a sudden, I'm not approaching prayer as, as from a heart of obligation, as something as I should do, or something that I ought to do more, or something that I have to do, and all of these different things. It's simply a way of saying, do I want God to open, do I want to open myself up to God? Do I want him to work in my life? And if so, then I go to him in prayer, and I invite him in. And I simply just must overcome either a lack of trust or an overblown pride. 
And if I can overcome those things, I can walk into the presence of God and boldly approach him in prayer because I'm praying to the God of the universe through his son that was given for me. Does that change the way you think about prayer? I hope so. Let me give you a couple of examples and, and kind of build on this idea. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 15, we, we read this. And Hezekiah, that is King Hezekiah, uh, prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between, between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. What is that? That's a recognition of who he is praying to. I'm not praying to some puny little God who only oversees a little part of the planet. I am praying to the creator God who oversees all the kingdoms of the world. You have made heaven and earth. And so give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. And listen to the words uh, Sinacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, God, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. That's sharing information in the prayer. Not because God is unaware, but sharing information because the request is coming. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. Uh, For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. And now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God. In this prayer, King Hezekiah is inviting God to move on their behalf to deliver them from the hands of the enemy. And I love how he ends the prayer. He prays that request so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are God. That is a way of aligning the prayer with the will of God. God, I am praying this so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are God. 1 John chapter 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. The king asks God a request that will affect him personally, but he asks it so that God may be glorified. Not so that he can get what he wants in his life, not so that his life will be easier, not necessarily even to take him out of his immediate circumstance. But he says, God, if you will do this for me, Personally, then may the result of that personal intervention in my life equal a greater purpose for your kingdom. Oh, now we're praying. Now we're praying. Because how many times do our prayers end with me, 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 me? I got a grocery list of requests, Lord. Let me read them to you. And when you provide them, I'll happily check them off. But if we will open up, open up our eyes to the greater perspective and the greater request, God, if you will do this for me personally, if you will intervene in my life, if you will change my circumstance, may that action serve a greater purpose in your kingdom so that all the kingdoms of the world may know who you are and may proclaim your name. Many times when, uh, when our family is sick, in fact, uh, 
We sent out a prayer request. Those of you on the prayer team will know this and on the leadership team. Uh, all, all winter, uh, we just had terrible sickness in our house. We just could not get over it. We were passing it from one to, to the other. I mean, it was, we had a terrible, terrible winter. And we had invited a lot of friends to Easter. And uh, we, we just had a lot of people coming to Easter. And Easter was a big deal. And uh, Jaden was sick, like sick, sick, like 104 degree temperature sick. I mean, it was bad. And so we sent out a prayer request and, and just called people to pray that she would be well by Easter so that we could maintain our Easter plans. And we could have all these friends of ours come to church and to the, the Easter party that night. And you know what we did? One of the most often phrases that we prayed during that time was, Jesus, in your name and for your glory. For your glory. In other words, this prayer really isn't about our Easter plans. This prayer is about God, may you be glorified. We've shared this with a lot of people. We've invited a lot of unchurched friends to church. And so, Lord, do not allow this illness to get in the way of what you want to do. And so, Lord, in your name and for your glory, may our child be well for a greater purpose in your kingdom. What would change about how we pray if we always attached it to the will of God for the greater purposes of his kingdom? Because guess what? The Bible says that if we ask, Jaden was well on Easter Sunday, by the way. I thought, probably not everyone knows that. But our prayer was answered. And the Bible says that if you will ask according to my will, I will hear you. And if you hear us, we already have what, we've, what we have asked for. And, and you might say, well, how in the world can I attach my personal prayer request for my circumstance to the will of God? Because I don't know if it's God's will that, that, that my dad be healed of cancer or Jaden get over a cold I don't, in time for Easter. I don't know what God's will is. And sometimes we just say, Lord, whatever your will is, just do it. And that's our prayer. That's our prayer life. God, whatever your will is, let's do it. You do it. And we're just sort of resigning ourselves. Well, the way we can attach something to the will of God is to say, may this serve a greater purpose in your kingdom. And I'm not here to to, to stand and say that God will always answer it exactly in the way that you think he will. But I know the goodness of God. And I know that God can be trusted. And I know that he has a will in the world. And so God, in your name and for your glory. Another example of inviting God um, to work in our lives. Acts chapter 7, verse 59 and 60. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Stephen is the very first martyr of the Christian faith. He was killed for his faith. Acts records it. He's the very first person to die because of his faith in recorded history. And while they are stoning him, that's a terrible way to die. While they are stoning him, Stephen prays this. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Lord, do not hold this against them. Which is not only a wonderful picture of forgiveness, but it's also a wonderful picture of inviting God not to just work on our behalf or in our own lives, but inviting God to work on behalf of other people. Right? We intercede for other people. We invite God, Lord, work in their lives. Lord, uh, demonstrate your power in their lives. And, and, and listen to these prayers on behalf of other people. The well, one we just read, Lord, do not hold this against them. Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In the midst of killing the Messiah, Father, would you offer them forgiveness? Would you work a work of forgiveness in their lives? They don't know what they're doing. Would you work in their lives? Paul prays may the, the, that uh, the church in Ephesians may know, the, in, in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus may know the height, the depth, the width of the love of God. He's inviting the love of God to make itself known, to, for God to make himself known in their lives in a powerful way. We pray to invite. And there are benefits of the invitation. The first benefit is alignment. Alignment. You see, there's a real difference between resigning ourselves to the will of God, which is a prayer that says, God, whatever your will is, just do it, and I'll just be okay with it. That's resigning ourselves. That's altogether different than aligning ourselves. Because resigning ourselves sort of removes us from the situation. Aligning ourselves, we're involved in the process and our hearts are joined with the heart of God in this circumstance. The perfect example of this, of course, is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he is, he is crucified, he, he prays, uh, Lord, if there is any other way for you to accomplish what you are purposing to accomplish, then may that be the way. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus is not resigning himself. He is aligning himself to the will of God in which he walks in perfect obedience to the cross and is crucified for all mankind that we may know him and demonstrates the the best love this world has ever known. And so prayer brings us into alignment with God's will. And it isn't just, so prayer then isn't just about telling God, what you want. But it is asking God what he wants. And I wonder how many times our prayers get stuck with just asking God, telling God what we want. The grocery list prayer. God, here's what I need from you. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is incomplete if we never shift that around and then also say, God, what would you want? What do you want from me today? What plans do you have for me? And then we tune our ear to him. And then we align ourselves to his will so that we can respond in obedience. And so one of the benefits of this invitation is an an alignment. Not just telling God what we want, but asking God what he wants. 
And it's not just for specific moments when we need to know his will. Alignment with the will of God is not always dependent upon a particular circumstance. Did you know that? That the will of God is larger than your situation that you're praying about right now? Should I take that job? Should we move there? Should we go there? Should we do that? That the will of God is larger than just those specific circumstances in your life. The will of God is about walking in the ways of God. That it is our natural tendency to act in ways that are contrary to God. To steer away from him. What prayer does is it opens ourselves up, right? It invites God to work in our lives. And part of the benefit of that is then it aligns our heart to his ways. It sets the inclination of our heart back to him. And so listen to this. I want you to hear this, church. That if you act in the ways of God, you are already inside the will of God. If you act in the ways of God, you are in his will. Should I go here or here? Maybe it isn't so much about whether you should go there or there as much as it is about the condition of your heart. There's a lot more that could be said about that. But what prayer does is if we... A lack of prayer, a lack of, of reading his word, a lack of gathering together in the community. Our, the natural tendency of our heart is to wander away from God. And then pretty soon, years later, we'll say, man, how did I get here? And then we open ourselves up to prayer. Through prayer, we open ourselves up. God begins to work in our lives, and he begins to pull us back and realign our ways so that we're in his will. And so it aligns us with God's will, but not necessarily just about that particular circumstance, but it aligns our heart. Let me also say this. What God has revealed in his word, you don't need to pray about. There, I said it. There's something that you don't need to pray about. What God has already revealed in his word, you don't need to pray about. You know, I've been praying about whether my boyfriend and I should sleep together, and I really think God's okay with it. No, he isn't. He's already revealed that in his word. So you don't need to pray about whether you should have premarital sex. You shouldn't. That was supposed to be just a little bit of fun there. Um, But it seemed to come across real heavy. (laughs) Is it hot in here? Man, I am. I'm cool. I'm a cool cucumber. Um, <laughs> you know, another example of this is, is I've often heard this. is I wonder, you know, I've been, really been praying to see if God wants to, to um, if God wants me to stop cussing all the time. I, I've heard this. Um, you know, and you, you know I'm, just, I'm just praying about it, seeing if the Lord wants to clean up my mouth and and, you know, I would just say to you, yes, the Lord does want to clean up your, your, your mouth. And it may not come in a moment, but you don't need to pray about whether he wants to do that. You need to pray for the strength to do that. Because the Bible has all kinds of things to say about the power of our words and our language. You don't need to invite God. You need to invite God to work in your life to clean up your language, not seek his discernment on whether you should or not. All right. Benefits of alignment. 
benefits of, of invitation is alignment and fellowship. You know, we learned last week that the essence of prayer is relationship, and, and prayer uh, is, is truly fellowship with God. Uh, particularly if we, if we see prayer not as just me sort of reading to God and telling God what I want, but, but really listening and saying, God, what would you want? Um, and, align, and aligning ourselves with his will. We have fellowship with God. And then the third benefit is growth. Prayer brings growth in our, in our life, in our faith. You know, prayer brings growth because when, when God answers a prayer, your faith grows. You know, when, when, we, when we experienced this answer to prayer that we were praying for our, our daughter Jaden and uh, that she would be well and that she would just get over this cold. I mean, it was nothing serious. It was nothing life-threatening. It was just the timing of the thing. And then and when he answers prayer, God, in your name and for your glory, when he answers prayer, man, our faith grew. And we're like, you know, God is, is here. He's involved. He loves us. He cares for us. But, you know, when, when God doesn't answer or any answers in ways that we don't expect or in ways that we don't like, when circumstances kind of go against the way that we were praying, Guess what? You learn, you grow because you learn to trust God and depend on God. And that those seasons where God seems to be silent can also be incredible periods of growth if you allow them to be that. Because sometimes you can just say, oh, God's not, God's not showing up. And you can kind of churn an angry fist at God. But you can also allow that to grow your dependency upon God. To grow your trust in God. That God, I trust your character more than I trust my circumstances. I trust your goodness more than I trust the evidence all around me. I trust who you are versus I trust just what you're doing in my life. Because I know if, if, if this is who you really are, then I know that whatever happens, you're going to do good in my life. And you're going to use this to work good in my life. But we have to allow that. If we just turn an angry fist at God, then it becomes very difficult for God to work in our lives because he doesn't force our hand. And so prayer brings incredible growth because when he answers, it builds faith. And when things don't turn out the way we want, it builds trust and it builds uh, dependency upon God. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click Online Giving.